0: i'm mike gorman and you're listening to the celtics pod podcast for celtics blog here's your host adam taylor what's up everybody happy monday that sunday game was a stinker no more 1pm games all year please no more 1pm games all year new york ran away with it despite playing terribly we're going to talk about it we're going to say it. most importantly we're going to focus on a little bit of kemba walker i'm joined by mr brendan nunez how you doing today bro
1: Doing all right, man. Uh, yeah, been better. I was excited to watch some early basketball for me over here on the West coast. I got a 10 a.m. Get 10 a.m. Game. I pretty much woke up and turned on the TV and, uh, that's always nice to do. I caught myself when it was first starting, man. I wish this would happen more often thinking. And, uh, yeah, by, by halftime I was, I was over that feeling. Um, I, I do want to say real quick, I, I know it was kind of a, kind of a joke. Um, But there's no excuse to a 1 p.m. start time like New York had the exact same start time and they came out with energy. Um, I I know most people were just kind of joking about it, but like I I think that's just ridiculous for anyone that's actually serious about it. Oh, yeah, I'm taking
0: it as a joke. I mean, look, yeah, I know you are from my geographic location. 1 p.m. starts are absolutely beautiful. (laughs) That's a 6 p.m. start for me. It's done by like 8 p.m. We're recording at 9.15 p.m on a Sunday evening.
1: This is the earliest I've recorded the Celtics blog podcast in, I cannot remember how long. Yeah. Who knows the last time we've been able to do like direct post game, you know, it's a, it's a nice change of pace. I'm not going to lie. Usually you're waking up
0: at 5. AM or I'm going to sleep at 2. AM. It's, it's a, it's a weird dynamic. We make it work and we enjoy it, but uh, yeah, I'm not going to turn down any more 1 PM
1: games. Realistically. I just really hope that it doesn't look (laughs) like this one. Yeah. And, you know, we can start with, um, with the Kemba minutes. And I thought that, you know, right out the gate, it was like, man, the Celtics do not have anybody that can create plays for other people like this. Like, I think he's by far the best passer on the team. And it was so clear right out the gate. Um, I think he probably could have been more aggressive in looking for his own opportunities, but I, I thought that, I mean, he's just a ridiculous playmaker and the way that it stood out his passing when he was on the floor, compared to what we've seen without him, is just night and day.
0: Yeah, the ball just moves so much quicker. There's a bit of a—he puts like a zip on the on the passes, right? And we saw some pocket passes we haven't seen most of this season. Yeah, uh, he, he
1: manipulates what, defenses with his eyes. Yeah, he
0: re, his shoulders move one way as his head turns. He really does get people backpedaling before even taking a step. And you could see straight away that New York were respecting him as a scorer, even though he'd been out for so long, it did. The shots weren't really falling for him, but there was definitely a few good plays where like, um, I can directly remember like a really nice entry pass to Marcus Smart. He had that pick and roll early on with Tristan Thompson. There were signs of, Signs of life for when Kemba's back to full fitness. I'm very optimistic. I think that if you put too much stock into his performance today, then you're kind of overreacting a little bit because the dude's been – he's had 11 games where everybody else has been getting fit, plus of all the offseason. I'm just looking at it as he's only going to
1: improve. Yeah, very first game of the season. I actually thought this was a really good Kemba game, Um, and and this can lead us to the amount of turnovers, I want to say – excuse me there was seven in the first quarter ended up with 17 in the entire game and five of those were on Kemba or were credited to Kemba um but you know I mean I think I can think of at very least there was the one with Tristan Thompson that was a side pick and roll that uh you know, Thompson complained that he got held, but New York was switching everything. So you're really looking to kind of go screen and slip that and, uh, Kemba threw the pocket pass, but Thompson didn't roll or there were just a couple things where it's just kind of getting into the flow of, or, and really just getting used to new teammates, especially a chemistry with Tristan Thompson, who this is his first game, obviously out there with the big man. Um, so, I mean, I don't, I, Kemba had five turnovers, but I actually thought that he was a fine playmaker, um, and yeah, I just don't think you can put too much into that, like you're saying.
0: Yeah, there was definitely going to be some kind of adjustment period for the rest of the team as well, because they've got so used to playing without him that now they're gonna. I mean, there was a there was a play where Kemba Walker hit. I think it, yeah, it was Grant Williams, unlike uh, Campbell went baseline and then fed Grant Williams with a pass. And Grant Williams was just not expecting to receive the ball at that moment in time, and he kind of fumbled right. the catch. And that's just because they haven't played with him for a while now. They've got used to playing with Jeff Teague, with Peyton Pritchard. So once a really, like a high-level playmaker comes in and he's seeing openings that the other guards, no disrespect to them, aren't spotting as quickly, the other players are going to need to have active hands. They're going to need to be a lot more locked in. I think this game overall, no one on the Celtics roster was generally locked in. There were very long stretches. I think there was two different stretches where they went scoreless for more than four minutes. I didn't yeah. really see too many set plays running as well. A lot of it was just random basketball, mm-hmm. which is fine. I mean, but like coming into this game, and this was kind of the Homer taking me. There was never one moment where I was like, damn, they could lose to New York.
1: And then once the game started, I was like, oh, this is going to be a long game. He came in on a five-game winning streak. New York was on a five-game losing streak. Um, And, you know, that might have been a factor right there, just one team coming in, uh, maybe a little complacent and, and just feeling good, even though, honestly, the other day I pulled up the standings, this was yesterday, and was shocked that Boston was the top of the East. I feel like they have not been playing good, Um, but they've been able to scrap away with some wins, which is what matters in the end. Um, But, you know, it shows in games like this, and this is an outlier performance, don't get me wrong. Um, But yeah, when you're you're talking about like, you know, a lack of ball movement, and it really was night and day with this in the Magic game. Um, But I, I think that this was a little telling of moments Um, that, you know, we've seen throughout the season where it's like, okay, well, the offense just 100% runs through Tatum and Brown every single possession. And now that Kemba's out there, you'll see him as well. And it's like, okay, well, Kemba's on a minute restriction. Tatum's not out there. So who is going to create any offense? And there wasn't really an answer. And I'll say in the Jalen minutes with Kemba out there, um, I I felt like he should have been much more aggressive. And even the minutes that Kemba was not out there, um, there was way too many three pointers in this game. More than half of the three po- of the field goal attempts from the Celtics were threes. They shot 46 threes this game. Oh, my God. I knew it was a lot, but 46 and they is absolutely ridiculous. Bro. 15%. Yeah, they hit seven of them. Honestly, even if you hit... <laughs> yeah, that, that's absolutely horrible. Um, I, I don't even care if you're on fire from three, you don't shoot 46 of them in my mind. Um, I, I think you need to be hitting the floor, or at very least, you know, if the other team is completely denying the rim, and that's the reason you're settling for threes. But I feel like they were not hitting the paint. Um, I, I feel like Jalen's guilty of that. I, I think that... Um, you know, maybe maybe Pritchard could have done that. We preached Shemi recently for really attacking closeouts. He had such a quick trigger from three. I can think of two different threes he shot it with what felt like 18 seconds left on the shot clock. Um, people were settling. I'll tell you with Shemi as well,
0: like considering me and you earlier in the day on locker room, we're talking about how Shemi's kind of displayed more of a diverse skill set, putting the ball on the floor, that Euro step, his ability to attack closeouts. This, to me, was him crashing back down to earth after riding a a three or a four game high. He'd been really productive coming into this game. I I don't feel as bad when I see Shemi checking in as what I did to begin the year or during last season. But this game was bad. He went 0 for 6 from the field, 4 for 4 from the line. That's fine. Only had one turnover. Am I looking at the right guy? Yeah, one turnover.
1: Yeah, crazy. It's, Pritchard I'm, I'm only three it. points in this one in only three shot scorer. attempts.
0: Yeah, like, but that's the thing you expect me, um, Pritchard, to have a few less shot attempts when Kemba's back. But this is the thing I felt like Jalen Brown, like, as you alluded to, kind of deferred to a secondary scorer's role when he's been such a great first option throughout the um, opening few games of the year. For me, yeah. it was just a really disjointed performance. It felt like everybody was trying to figure out where they fit in now that Kemba's back. And they just couldn't get it to work. I mean, Marcus Smart, who has been better this season in terms of shot selection, in terms of consistency from deep, went zero for seven from from beyond the arc, like four for fifteen in total. That's like a, a Marcus Smart yeah. last season deep into the playoffs kind of stat line. It's not what we've got used to seeing from him this time, this side, sorry, this part of the season. Yeah, it's yeah. getting rough, so- man. Grant Williams went zero for four.
1: Teague went yep. 0 for two, 0 for six of semi. And but... in my issue here, sorry to interrupt you. Four of Grant's five attempts are from three. Eight of Kemba's 13 attempts are from three. Um, six of all all of Shemi's six attempts are from three. Half of Neesmith's are from three, whatever. Half of Daniel Tice's four attempts are from three. Half of Teague's attempts are from three. Every single one of Peyton Pritchard's shots was from beyond the arc same with Tremont waters who I know was just kind of garbage time minutes like I get it and now that I look at the Orlando box score I said you know you shouldn't shoot 46 threes in a game like they did in New York they shot 42 in Orlando and made 17 of them so 40 percent but I think that that might have you know the reason they got good looks in that one was they were hitting the paint right there was so much ball movement there was 25 assists in that game and only 11 turnovers in this one you have 17 turnovers to 15 assists like the shot i guess the amount of threes are fine if again if you are hitting the paint and setting it up that way was not happening yeah and the celtics have so many guys that can penetrate and finish around the rim
0: that if the threes aren't falling if you've talked 20 threes and you've hit three of them go to a driving dish game go to a a mid pick and roll game instead of operating that high pick and roll attack the glass and get some easy points on the board to keep it competitive the Celtics went down in the first quarter and then they never went on a run for the entire game there was not one Celtics run to kind of bring things back do you know what I mean the only reason the game was within touching distance entering the fourth was because the Nets sorry the Knicks that's us talking before the recording because the Knicks suck so I mean it's tough. I mean, Emmanuel quickly played really well. To be fair, he had twenty points at yeah, seven and really twelve. I really like him too. Mitch Robinson does what Mitch Robinson does, but for me, there was just no reason to. It felt like the Celtics were scared to mix it up down low. I don't know if you got that impression too, but the Knicks played very physically once the ball got into the mm-hmm. paint, and that made. And to me, it felt like the Celtics were avoiding that physical contact, so they decided to play more of a perimeter-based game.
1: Yeah, which is not usual. You know, I, I mean, New York was getting all the 50 50 balls, which I guess sometimes it just bounces your way. But I mean, I felt like they just wanted it more. Um, and I will say, like, I, I think that I'm frustrated. Um, with this game. And I think a lot of fans are understandably. Um, But I I don't expect this is very telling of what you're going to see from Boston in the future. Um, Just kind of reacting to this one rather than like worrying trends or anything, because you saw, again, fine basketball against Orlando, um, a, a team that is definitely less physical but um, ha- has a solid defense to them as well. And the ball movement was all there. So, you know, this very well could have been an off night, but I think it was more than just missing shots. And I think it was avoidable mistakes um, and-, and effort issues that you just don't like to see. But, you know, even, even championship teams have a couple of these games throughout the year.
0: Yeah, every team th- gets a stinker. This has just been one of the more stinkier games we've seen. And I understand some people point to the lack of Robert Williams, the lack of Jason Tatum. While I understand that, I still feel like this Celtics team that got rolled out against New York had enough talent within its ranks to win this game. I don't feel like this was indicative of the talent drop-off once Tatum isn't available. I think, as you alluded to, Tatum wasn't available in Orlando. We still saw a really good performance. It was, for me, just their inability to change gears and start getting downhill and attacking the rim whether that was through getting bullied a little bit and they just wanted to avoid it they didn't feel comfortable or whether it was just they thought their best options were scoring from deep i just don't understand why if it's not falling after 20 shots you don't start upping your attempts around the rim it just doesn't make sense to me and just set some back screens really put put pressure on New York to rotate and start really picking them apart because New York are a a young team too. So if you start forcing them to rotate with back screens, down screens, smart off-ball cuts, then they're going to fall apart. That's how teams have been beating New York up until today. So for Boston to kind of play into their defensive scheme and just be completely happy with firing away from deep and living or dying with the results made no sense to me.
1: Yeah. No, I'm 100% with you, and I'll say I I don't expect the issues that were had in this one to be the same ones going into their next showing against um, the 76ers, which is probably the biggest game of the year so far. They play them two games in a row, Um, but this whole like – lack of a fire to them and maybe like getting affected in an uncharacteristic way by physicality. I I don't think that's a problem when you look at the schedule and you're hyped to go against the Sixers compared to, and the Knicks have lost five games in a row. You know, maybe they were a little complacent. Like, I don't think that these same issues Um, will take place against Philadelphia outside of maybe like you need to be make sure you're hitting the paint, but I don't think that they look lackadaisical or affected by um, physicality as much going into the next one.
0: Yeah. And the only thing that I kind of want to push back on with this physicality is that's why you brought Tristan Thompson in, right? So you've got somebody to get physical once other teams get physical with you. I don't think that people understand that Thompson was never coming in as a superstar center. He's an above average starter in the league, rotates really well, defends really well. It just wasn't his night offensively. went one of five. He still pulled down six boards. But I definitely wanted to see more of a desire to fight. I don't care that they started out complacent. They probably thought they can get through this game in second or third gear. But once you went, I was very much expecting a second-half fight back. I was expecting the Celtics to come out there, begin to take this game serious and start moving the ball the way that we've seen them move it throughout the beginning of the season. If they do decide, if this is kind of like a, a hangover from having that week off and then coming back against Orlando and then there's right. some tired legs, then that is completely understandable. And you kind of live and die with that because of this type of season that we're going, in, going through this year. But if this carries over against Philly, they are going to get absolutely tortured.
1: Yeah, and there is one worrying trend um that you pointed out, and I think you wanted to kind of touch on going into this one. You know what I'm hinting at here?
0: Yeah, so with kemba Walker coming back, I'm really intrigued about the Jeff Teague, Peyton, and Pritchard kind of battle for minutes that's going on, kind of simmering under the surface. I know that Teague and Pritchard have shared the floor a lot together. In fact, coming into this game, Teague had not been on the floor without Pritchard and the two. However, Pritchard has been on the floor as the one without Teague on the floor. Obviously, Teague's missed a couple of games. What, what was very prevalent was that Teague was the first guard off the bench, and then Pritchard came in to replace Marcus Smart, again, operating as the two. I'm just curious how that works as Kemba's minutes go, goes up. Maybe you start to see a bit more of a hierarchy between Teague and Pritchard, because one, they're probably going to start staggering Marcus Smart with that second unit for, for some additional guard defense. For two, Who do they value more? Do they value Teague's veteran leadership or Peyton Pritchard's kind of firecracker production? I'm just very curious how this is going to go. And then once Romeo Langford comes back and he's fit, where does he slot in and how does that affect Peyton Pritchard? So there's a bit of a narrative that's forming here with a little battle between Teague and Pritchard that I was very intrigued to see how that played out in Kemba's first game back and Teague got the nod.
1: Yeah, and I am not too surprised that Teague was... uh... Kind of the first one, even though they played pretty comparable minutes in this one, um, because I think it's just a hierarchy of, you know, having a seniority thing, I I guess is what I should say. Um, You know, Teague has been an all star in the league. He's played um, a a ridiculous amount of seasons and Pritchard's obviously coming into his first year. I I think that, you know, there's probably more trust in Teague um, and that could change by the end of the year, because honestly, Teague hasn't been great. Um, and, and he's got more to show, but I, I think that like you trust him to make the right play more often than Pritchard. Um, and again, that, that could change. Um, But yeah, I, I think that it's going to be a very good test of Pritchard here when he's not, I mean, like he kind of felt like starting point guard for the team for a while. I know he wasn't starting, but he felt like the primary point guard on the team for a while there. Um And I think that's a big part of, the success that he's had at first um, being able to have a a decent usage to him. And that's going to change a lot with with Kemba coming back. Um, So we'll see how he's able to function more in a little bit of a lesser role. And I think that's going to be a really good test for him here.
0: Yeah. And the other thing I want to point out is with Jeff Teague, you know what you're getting. You know that when teams play high pressure defense, that Teague is going to, he's not going to crack. He's going to make the right read nine times out of 10. Doesn't mean he'll convert the read because he is still a turnover prone guard in general but it means that he's always going to be making a veteran decision whereas Peyton Pritchard especially once we roll around to the playoffs he's untested it's going to be a high pressure environment I'd expect to start seeing cracks in that rookie armor at that point so I understand why Jeff Teague would get the nut as first guard off the bench but I'm very interested to see how Brad Stevens kind of toes the line between keeping Jeff Teague happy and making sure he gets productive minutes along with continuing to to develop Peyton Pritchard because there will be a time where Teague disappears.
1: Yeah, it's a good point. Um, Teague has seen everything a defense can throw at him during his time in the career, um, in his career. And Pritchard tonight, for example, got double teamed when it was a, a lineup out there where he was probably the primary creator and he looked panicked a little bit. Um, I I think it was the first one that he's seen in his career or or maybe one of the first in the NBA. And if I'm possibly missing some earlier in the season, Um, but you know, especially if you were talking about a playoff setting or even these back-to-back settings where you're going to see almost like a pseudo playoff experience playing two teams in a row and adjustments going to be made like the two upcoming games against Philadelphia, for example, Um, when defenses decide to throw adjustments at him, Pritchard's going to have seen some of these for the first time in his NBA career. Um, against nba athletic defenders um so and, and has dealt with these before and will understand reactions on the fly
0: yeah and i mean look to be fair like we saw kemba walker get stymied by these type of adjustments deep into the playoffs because there were adjustments he hadn't become accustomed to in his career due to not having multiple playoff appearances do you know what i mean so yeah. it is one of those things where you need to play through it you need to experience it probably make the mistakes that go like they're inevitable when it first happens to you and learn from them so that's why I say I am interested to see how Stevens walks that line between developing Pritchard and relying on Teague to make those veteran plays it's going to be interesting I just genuinely believe that as the season wears on there's going to be less opportunity to put those two guys on the floor together and that's when we're going to start see a more defined hierarchy in the guards um, area
1: yeah I hope so um One other thing that, that worried me this season or these last two games, I should say um, is the offensive rebounding from both of these teams. So we know the magic are, I mean, both of these teams are actually very good rebounding teams. Um, Orlando is first in offensive rebounds in over the entire season. And The Knicks are sitting at 12th, and meanwhile, you know, the Celtics have been a good rebounding team themselves when they've been rolling out this double-big lineup, but we haven't seen that as much recently. Um, They're 23rd in defensive rebounds on the year, and when it comes to opponent um, offensive rebounds allowed per game, Boston um, is actually only sitting at 21st, but again, when you're going up against other actual good rebounding teams that have um a a real emphasis on that i think there could be some issues especially when you know grant williams or semi-ogele is your four and um i'm sure obviously a lot of that has to do with with tatum not being out there right
0: yeah i mean tatum's developed into a really good rebounder primarily defensively but he is capable of getting crashing the boards a little bit offensively what shocks me is again. Against the Knicks, it felt like they were just dominating the offensive glass. And the Celtics actually ended up with more offensive rebounds than what the Knicks did throughout the game. The Knicks had 10, the Celtics had 14. But it didn't feel that way, right? It felt like New York were just fighting for every possession underneath the rim. They were buddying guys. They were boxing out a lot better. They were being more physical. And I don't think Tatum changes too much of that. I think that maybe some calls go... Boston's way a little bit because of the superstar treatment or, like, the star treatment. But definitely, in terms of offensive rebounding, I feel like that's where the hole is on the team. It's another reason why I think they're weakest at the four. And as you say, having someone like Grant Williams or Daniel Tice there, why it does help with versatility and switchability on defense, it doesn't really give you a presence on the glass as if, like, I don't know, a Paul Millsap would. Do you know what I mean? Right. So there's definitely an upgrade that could be made there, but until that happens, then having Jason Tatum at the four is going to be, or, or just at the three, as long as Jason Tatum's on the floor, to be quite honest, you're going to have an extra defensive presence on the glass. Offensively, going to be committed.
1: Yeah, New York had seven of those offensive rebounds in the first quarter. Um, and, and I think there was some emphasis after that, obviously, on, on denying that, but I think it just spoke to the effort that New York came, came out with, um, really from the tip. Um, And and yeah, I mean, I actually think that Tatum at the four is totally fine. Um, I I think that just adding a wing like Romeo and just sliding Tatum to the four even helps. Um, But yeah, I I mean, you know, those I I think the offensive rebound numbers totals could look a a little misleading when it comes to this New York game, because uh, New York really had a primary primarily most of those in the first half of the game and in Boston just never really came back from then.
0: Yeah, and when I say they're weak at the four, I don't mean as a starting four. I'm definitely looking more towards a bench week, yeah. a bench forward. And Grant Williams is good, don't get me wrong. I just feel like he can get exposed when coming up against physical teams as he did today. Um, this game was just not good. I mean, there's no way of doing it without swearing. Uh, they were just bad. There was no effort on either side of the floor. They were very lackluster, very apprehensive, would probably be the best way of putting their offensive. Execution and look, looking too deep into it, it's an overreaction. It was one game, tired legs probably prevailed in this one. And New York were just hungry, they wanted it more, they wanted to snap that losing streak and more power to them. Uh, they've got yeah. a good, like, you know, they've got a decent coach. It's quite funny that the I think Scal pointed to this as well. It's quite funny, I think he pointed it to the Orlando game that Tibbs is already coming under fire for overplaying Mitchell robert um, Julius Randall and rj Barrett. Sorry those two guys jostling for first and second in most minutes in the league at the moment. But look, they were just hungry. It doesn't mean they're a better team. It just means that they executed far better in this game. And I really hope that somebody chewed out the Celtics in that locker room.
1: Yeah, and you know, on the other side of it, uh, I guess if you want to look for some optimism, um, while they were not good three-point attempts, and again, they were settling, like we've said, they're, the Celtics are the... Um, are one of the better three-point shooting teams in the entire league so far this season. They're currently sixth. Um, I think that's before this New York game gets accounted for, but they were uh, shooting 39% on 32 total attempts. And then in this one, you come out and lay an egg with 15%. As you mentioned, um, their worst three-point shooting game of the season. Also, they managed to miss 11 of their 29 free throws, um, which, you know, just isn't going to happen usually. Um, and, and I would think that getting kind of spanked by the Knicks like this would have you come out with a different energy that I think already would have been there against Philadelphia. So, um, yeah, I, I mean, I, I don't think that this is like a worrying trend or anything like that, um, but I, I, it definitely sucks to have to witness, it, I'll say.
0: And the last thing I want to touch on and then we'll let everybody get out of here is Aaron Neesmith is still struggling. Definitely looks a little bit better than when we first saw him. You know, he knows where to be on defense now. Yeah. Seems to fit, know where he needs to be on offense to at least get looks. He went 0-4 from the field. For a guy that called himself a sniper coming into the league, maybe he's having to eat his words a little bit, but I still feel like he's playing a little bit too quick for himself. Um, I'm, I haven't lost faith yet, but I do think that he's going to need to keep getting between seven to 12 minutes a game just so he can kind of let the game come to him a bit more let it slow down otherwise we'll be looking at another Carson Edwards sort of situation but with the 14th pick that's a little bit harder to stomach
1: yeah um I I think defense is where I've seen the progress as well um and and honestly it was kind of a easy to improve with the starting point that he had at the beginning of the year. Um, But progress is progress. And, you know, maybe part of the issue in this game as well is uh, it felt like the spacing wasn't phenomenal out there for Boston sometimes. And uh, you know, you would think that Neesmith should be able to provide that, even though he's been three of 14 so far on the year, as you kind of alluded to. Um, So, yeah, I, I think there definitely was progress on the defensive end of the floor and yeah, definitely no need to overreact to only four total games played. Yeah, there's definitely
0: going to be enough time for him to turn this around. But again, the only way he's going to get opportunities to turn it around is to start making waves defensively. It's exactly what Romeo Langford had to do last year was impact the game on the defensive end, pressure the ball, make people feel your presence on the ball, and then you will earn minutes. And when you're on the floor, that's the only way you're going to be able to impact it offensively. So seeing growth off Aaron Lee Smith on the defensive end is actually more encouraging than seeing growth off him on the offensive end in a Brad Stevens coach system.
1: I am with you. And it wouldn't surprise me if it, uh, there's a little bit of a mental aspect to, you know, coming out there and not hitting shots when he really is a shooter. Um, so, yeah, I mean, you see guys go through slumps all the time. I mean, um, Grant Williams, uh, yeah, I, I thought of Grant. You think of Kelly Oubre this year, even guys like Buddy Heald go through cold stretches, you know? I mean, good shooters go through cold stretches and get in their head a little bit. And when it's your first stint in the career, um, I, I could see that happening, you know?
0: Yeah, and like I say, look, I'm not too concerned about the shot. I'm very concerned about him carving a role for himself so he can get the reps needed to work through that cold slump and again the only way he's going to do that is by impacting the game defensively yeah i'm with you okay pretty much wraps us off unless there's anything you want to mention
1: no i'm i'm really excited for these philadelphia games again i don't think that uh while it was disappointing and kind of sad to watch this this matchup against new york i don't think it's telling about anything moving forward and i think they should have a really good energy to them in these next philadelphia games um but, yeah, I mean, all of a sudden, if you happen to lose both of these back-to-back, you uh, don't feel great about how, uh, how, how the team is faring. So this is a really good matchup for this team.
0: Yeah, we're going to kind of, with or without Jason Tatum, and we're going to start seeing what this team's mentality is like, what their mental fortitude's about. Coming back with a statement win would be great. Coming back with a statement level of intensity is the bare minimum that we want to
1: see against Philadelphia definitely and I think there's a chance that there's also no Joel Embiid so maybe that evens things out a little bit uh it'll be fun to watch
0: yeah definitely I'm more concerned about Ben Simmons most of the time anyway because of the penetration he brings but look, we'll bring somebody in that covers the Sixers this week so we can get a bit more of a feel for how they're doing. I know that not all of us are watching every Sixers game. In fact, most of us aren't watching many Sixers games. So bringing somebody in that covers the team might help us get a bit more of an insight there. Guys, you can catch us again on Wednesday. As usual, make sure you leave that nice five-star written review. If you don't want to leave a nice review, don't leave one at all because if you ain't got nothing nice to
1: say... do will say anything at all.
0: Yep. Peace.